Okay, so we are in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be covering verses 3 through 11. And I've named this whole study abiding. We're going to get to the very first word of abiding in this study here. But like we said with John, John is not uh, Paul. John will come hit hit a point, and then you'll see that point come back later on. So he's sort of cyclical in his thinking and in his studies, whereas Paul is more foundational, like he'll talk about a point to the end of it, and then I'll say, okay, now this is what you need to do about the point. John's not like, 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 remember we talked about in the very first lesson, John is kind of like a musician's composer, and he has a theme, just like any great symphony has a theme, and as they play different things, they'll, they'll have, have, go through a movement, and then they'll come back and you'll hear that theme again. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is abiding. And it's one of the many really awesome things that John has to say. Now, how wonderful is it that in these uncertain times, we as Christians can find certainty in studying a book that was written over 2,000 years ago and whose relevance would absolutely stun the modern world. So I'm welcoming you to 1 John. How is it that he figured all that out? How is it that this book is so relevant today, I can't even express it, Um, but he knew because his word is living and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. So we're gonna dive in. Assurance, this really is a book about certainty and the Bible word for certainty is called assurance, okay? Assurance wrote a 17th century English Puritan whose name was Thomas Brooke. He wrote, assurance is the reflex of of grace on my soul. It's a sensible feeling and an experiential discerning of a man's being in the state of grace. Assurance is a believer's ark. I love this. Where he sits, Noah-like, quiet and still in the midst of all the distractions and destruction, commotion and confusion. He goes on to say, it's a pearl that most want, a crown that few wear. Little is to be found among Christians. Most Christians live between fears and hopes and hang, as it were, between heaven and hell. So they are like a ship on a storm tossed here and there, period. Isn't that wonderful? Now, he wrote that a few hundred years ago, but it's certainly true today that most Christians are like James would describe, we're tossed about. Um, And this book is going to anchor our souls. And it's gonna anchor our souls in something so wonderful. It's God. (laughs) And we're gonna live there and we're gonna learn how to abide there. So wherever you are in your spiritual walk, uh, whether you're a mature Christian, whether you're a baby Christian, this is something that's gonna appeal to all of us because we can all know him better. Okay, so assurance, uh, John MacArthur says, is not only a privilege, it's a birthright of the Christians. Um, he, let me give you a couple of verses to back that up. Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, my favorite, one of my favorite verses um, on assurance is John 10, 27 through 30. And Jesus is preaching, and he says, and he's talking about being the good shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So this is you, and this is God, this is Jesus, okay? And so he says, you're, this is where you are, and nobody can snatch you out of his hand. And let me just say why. Keep reading, because it gets better. My Father, who has given them to me, let me just say, we are gifts to Jesus. And he holds them. Gifts. Okay? My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So you want to see where you are in Christ? You've got to get through God, and Jesus has got to open up his hand, and there, there you are. So you are in Christ. Whether you know it or not, you are in Christ. So um, uh, Paul, my practical Paul, said, this is how you know. This is how you know. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 1.6. That's how you, I'm sure of this. So whatever God starts, he's going to finish. So wherever you are on this journey, I'll tell you one thing that you can know and you can put in the bank, and that is you will be in heaven because Jesus is holding you, and God says nobody is going to snatch you out of his fingers, okay? So to review our book very quickly... Remember we said most commentators believe that the book of 1 John is about tests. It's a test of assurance, okay? They have all cardinal tests. They have all kinds of different very fancy words, but they're basically tests um, to make sure that you're a believer. The first is, do I believe the right things about Jesus? That's the theological test. That's the doctrinal test. That's the one about our head. Second, do I obey the commands of God? That's the moral test. Don't fill out your outline yet. You're not quite there. Um, third, do I love others? And that's the ethical and the social test. Okay? So now look at your outline because I'm going to give you the better. So we talked last week a lot about theology. That was the part of the doctrinal test. And remember, these are three themes that John was going to rotate and come back. Remember we said John MacArthur calls it a spiral. If you think of a DNA, that's kind of what I think of, a helix, where it, he just keeps spiraling around back to these big, big, huge points. Um, but anyway, so, so we talked about last week how God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. We define sin as anything that's not God. Anything contrary to the, ner the nature and the person of God is what we call sin. It's missing the mark. It's hamartia. It's not good. It, it's funny because our world says sin is bad things, um, and God says sin is anything that's not him. So, again, we got to up our ante a little bit. Um, 
So assurance and the three on your outline tests. I, I'm a big fan of school, being that I was a guidance counselor for a million years. Um, so I, I, get, I get tests. Tests are good. Um, number one, do I believe the right things about Jesus and God? That was what we covered in 1 John 5 to, uh, through chapter 2, verse 2. This is a theological test, and it has to do with correct doctrine. Remember we talked about God is light, and Jesus is our propitiation, and he's our advocate. These are all huge doctrines that are, that are tantamount. They're so important to our Christian faith. We have to do the doctrine. We have to know what we believe. And this has to do, so this theological test has to do with my thinking, my knowledge, and truth. Okay? So it's up here. But knowing true facts about Christ doesn't mean make me a Christian any more than knowing about paints and colors and brushes make me an artist. So we covered some of the doctrine, and we'll be going back to it, so don't worry. You can go back and read it. Um, but we talked to Jesus. Um, I mean, John said in 1 John, he said, the, the purpose of this book is that you may have fellowship with, with each other, and indeed, our fellowship with God and his son, Jesus. Remember, that's, that's the key, fellowship. Um, then he said, well, there's a big problem. The big problem, chapter 1, is sin. We sin. So he talked about how we deal with sin as believers. We confess it. We move along. We agree with God. We speak truth to him about what we are and what we've done, what our nature is. And, and we move on because he forgives us, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's like, oh, hello, we're back in fellowship, okay? So now we get to number two. So two on your outline. Do I obey the commands of God? So the first thing is, do I think correctly about him? Do I have the right theology? The second is, do I obey the commands of God. And that's, we're going to cover this in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Um, let me read that to you. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Now, by this we know that we know if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know we are in sin. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk as he walked. So that's what we're going to cover for right now and under number two. This is a moral test. It has to do with my behavior. How? That's if you're on doing your outline, behavior is underlined. Do I obey and abide in Christ, abide is on your outline, and follow in his steps? Now, John, remember in last week's lesson, he kept saying, if we say, if we say, if we say, okay, because that's, and again, I want you to get that these guys were brilliant, Holy Spirit led, um, but he's just not randomly throwing thoughts together. He's thinking about this. In this passage, the thing, the key that I want you to see is um, by this we know. And you'll hear that both times. By this we know in, in uh, verse 3, and then by this we know in verse 5. By this we know. Again, we're talking about knowing. Okay? 
Knowing is the Greek word here, gnosko. There's lots of Greek words for knowing, but this is the one he's talking about, and this is talking about experiential knowledge. This is what this word means. It's not know in your head. It's like do, if I said to you, do you know Tom Brady? Well, you could tell me a lot of things about Tom Brady, but have you ever met Tom Brady? That's the real question. So this is what he's saying to you. This is how you know that you've met Jesus is by obeying his commands, okay? And knowing is, uh, it's interesting because it's, um, it's, ex- it's knowledge gained by experience day to day, knowledge gained by proximity to the thing known. Isn't that great? So if you want to know something and know Jesus, it's about being close and that we're building this up into abiding, okay? So let's talk about verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Now remember we said one of the huge things of John is about certainty, about knowing what you believe and your faith in Christ, knowing that you know. He says it right here. By this we know that we know. How? There's a test. You obey his commands. Okay, so let me just talk about that. The evidence of someone knowing God and fellowshipping with him is that he keeps his commandments. A simple, loving obedience is a natural result of fellowship with God. Um, And this word keep is kind of interesting because it's not just keep like, do I do all the commandments? It's about guarding. Do I safeguard these commandments? Do I love these commandments? We're going to talk more about that. Um, John 14, 15, Jesus said in the upper room discourse, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That's what he said. Uh, John 14, 21, and then 23 through 24, he goes on to say, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. In other words, I'm going to show, I'm going to get to know him better. I'm going... If somebody, if you have a friend and you just casually met them and then they say, oh, let's have lunch. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let's have lunch, okay? Um, He says, I will love him and reveal myself to him. And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him, wait for it, and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words, and the words you hear is not mine, but my Father's who sent me. So I just want that word, it's interesting because that's almost is a a similar root word to what we're going to study, abide, which is meno. This is um, a, a derivative of that, and it says he's going to make our dwelling with them. Now, if you get anything from this study, I want you to get that... Wherever you are with Jesus Christ, he wants to be closer. That's really what I want you to get. Wherever you are, he wants to reveal himself to you, for you to know him. And part of that is about the commandments. Uh, John 15, 10, and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, again, we're cycling back because we talked about that the very first lesson, how Jesus said, um, how John said, that I'm writing these things to you so that you have joy. Remember joy. Our fellowship is, fellowship equals joy if we're doing it the way he's saying to do it. Um, even though we have an advocate in heaven, even though we have an open invitation for confession, um, let me just say that nothing in the believer makes light of sin and the sacrifice of Christ. Even though he has made the access available to us, we can't discount it. We, there's nothing careless about us following his commands. We should be careful. Um, obedience, if you get on your outline, A is obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which if you've never read his fire, oh, such a good, he's a, uh, he was like a, like a Christian spy in Hitler's time. Uh, really cool guy. Brilliant. Um, anyway, he died for his faith um, right before Hitler was overturned, right before God took him home. He just wanted to see him, I guess. Um, but he wrote, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. And again, this comes, again, the faith with the works thing, you know. Um, there, there's like two sides of the same coin. Um, if you truly believe, you are going to want to follow his commands. Um, David Atkins writes, obedience is an important avenue of assurance because I know him in all of his beauty, glory, and majesty. I delight in obeying him. To obey Christ is not a burden, it's a blessing. It's my natural response to what he's done for me. Now, here's the thing. If you're like me, you've got to take all of this whole idea about commandments and the law and all the ought-tos, and I want you to take that and I want you to throw it out the window, okay? Because we have misinterpreted this idea. God's commands are written for us for good. Um, so my sister is a teacher. And if you're ever a teacher, if you're a teacher here, you have to have a classroom management strategy, okay? You, you absolutely, especially in this day and age, because we have kids with behavior issues. You gotta figure out how I'm gonna deal with that, okay? So, my, so you can have little tickets and you can have red lights and green lights and we have all kinds of different ways of doing that. But my sister's classroom, she was a third grade teacher forever. Her classroom management strategy was this, and that was she loved her kids. And because she loved them so much, they wanted to please her. They loved her. And they wanted to please her. So it wasn't like, oh, you missed the rule. She would be like, oh, I'm so sad. And they'd be like, oh, no, you're so sad. That's really sad. You know? <laughs> Let me not do that again, okay? <laughs> because they wanted to please her. They followed her rules. And her rules were really about making the most of their opportunity to learn. She didn't have any bad rules. She didn't say, oh, you can't do this because she was being like, you know, eh, you know, she was, she loved them. And every one of her classroom rules had a reason. 
Sometimes those reasons had names, but they had. <laughs> and so she would make the rule and everyone would follow the rule so that maximum learning could occur. So I want you to transfer that and think about how God has this huge classroom and he is trying to teach us things. And he wants us to learn how to be like Jesus because he knows that's what we were created for. And so all of these rules are just so that he can teach us and be close to us like he intended. Okay? So rules, I want you to say, are not bad things. They're good things. Okay? Now, Robbie had this really great illustration. And... Um, he was teaching in the catechism class about the law, okay? And he had this beautiful picture of this pathway. And you could see this was through a forest and there's light dappling through this beautiful pathway and, and, the, and the light was kind of shining on this path, right? And he said, so this is where God wants us to walk. This is where God wants us to walk. And he said, okay, so, um, Sometimes you'll see on this path, there might be things that hem you in. And he says, when I teach the kids in high school, he said, you know, they see God's commands as things that restrict their freedom. Things that make me do things that I don't want to do, okay? And so they see that these things on this pathway, they see them as fences. And so do we. But really, and ask Tiger Woods this, they're guardrails. Don't you think Tiger want, would, would, would have liked to have a little guardrail in his life when he was speeding? Yeah, I think so. See, and it's about our, what do we see the intention? Like my sister's intention in the classroom is maximum. Or what is God's intention in this life that we're living? It's that we be like him and fellowship with him. And these rules are good rules. Read um, Psalms 19. David talks about, I love the law. I love it. I eat it. It's, it's better than honey. It's more precious than gold. I love it. Let me just say, if we could have that attitude about his commands, I think we would be changed. And every time he says, don't, don't do this or don't do that, instead of saying, and I really wanted to, we could say, oh, this is an opportunity to crucify myself, you know, get death to self, and new walk in new life to, with God, and, and see that as a guideline for us to know him better. See, that's the end result here, is that we would abide in him, and that, ladies, will sell itself. I don't have to sell that. You know when you're there, and it's sweet, and his commandments are only really about our well-being, just like when you have house rules, like no running with scissors. Do you have anything against running? Do you have anything against scissors? No, but you know that eventually, especially if you're dealing with boys, which, by the way, I know now are very different than girls. I have a grandson. I had three daughters, so I didn't know this, but, boy, that grandson, whew, after he jumped out of the cart at uh, Hobby Lobby, I realized, wow, they're different. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> but if the running with scissors, you've got to realize that the, there's a rule for that, and it's only for our safety. It's only because I love them, and I don't want them to get hurt. Okay? So here we got 
Um, so we can see rules as our limiting freedom, or we could see rules as, or his commands, as safeguarding our happiness. Um, okay, I'm going to keep moving along. Um, verses 3 and 4. Now, by this we know, that's our little formula, that we know him if we keep his commands. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, remember we talked about John was writing to, because there was a lot of false teaching going on by these Gnostics, and that's something that they did. They said, you know, if you get what you do in your head right, it really doesn't matter what your physical, you know, because they remember the head, you know, spiritual knowledge was good, you know, esoteric knowledge is great. Anything to do with the flesh, we don't really care about that. That's like secondary. So they were claiming to have all this great knowledge here, but they were living like the devil. And he's like, that's not right. Um, so a liar, and the truth is not in him. The truth, um, if you are going to be a Christian and you're going to claim fellowship, um, then you really can't have a, a life marked by sin all the time, perpetual sin. Now, Spurgeon says, under I know him, and again, he wrote a couple hundred years ago. This is so cool that this is so relevant. He said, do distinguish, however, between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. We may know very much about any of our great men, though we do not know them. Now, it will never save a soul to know about Christ. The only saving knowledge is to know him to know his very self and to trust him, the living savior who is now at the right hand of God. This interaction, this getting to know him is what we call fellowship. We've called it fellowship in chapter one and today we're gonna call it abiding, okay? So it says whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God, I'm in verse five and six, is perfected in him, by this we know, that we are in him, he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk as Jesus walked. So, whoever, okay, so let's get to the outline B, is abiding in him. He's going to use this word 23 times. If you do your homework, you're going to find him. <laughs> um, Kenneth Wiest records, he's a Greek scholar, to abide in the Lord Jesus, therefore, implies not only position, but relationship. Write that down. It implies fellowship, friendship, dependence. Write that down. Harmony, communion. He later describes this being, as being in living communion. It's organic. That's a very cool thing for him to say right now. <laughs> Organic is very cool. Um, so how can I be assured Christ is all to me? He answers, we attain personal and conscious acquaintance with Christ by observing his commands. That's what he says in verses 3 through 5. We attain to assurance of abiding union with him by walking as he walked. So there's two things he's saying. And, he, and here's what you're looking for. The principle, I don't I wrote it a little different because there was a, a typo. Is, it's not enough to know the principle to, so that we understand the theory. We must put it into practice. 
okay? So it, it, it can't be just up here. It has to be transformed into our life. And our life validates what we think, okay? So this, and, and then we're going to move on, and we're going to talk about, and we're going to have love later, but we're not going to talk about that now. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, what makes an artist not merely learning the rules of perspective and the mixture of colors, but actually putting one's hand to the brush and the canvas? First attempts may be unsuccessful, but skill comes with patient practice. Rembrandt, who is my, one of my favorite painters, once said to his student, try to put into practice what you already know, and in so doing, you will, in good time, discover the hidden things which you inquire about. Now, I could just see Rembrandt and this chatty guy. Well, how do you do that? Oh, how do you do that? How do you do it? He's like, just do it. You'll figure it out. Just do it. And Jesus is saying to you, do it. Do it. Um, so uh, my example of this is my husband. <laughs> we have bought a 30-something-year-old boat. Please be impressed. Um, anyway, so he's fixing this 30-year-something-year-old boat all the time. This, I, we call her the other woman. I don't mind. I know exactly where he is. I'm good. I'm totally good. But here's the deal. He, now, my husband is a mechanical engineer. He's pretty bright, okay? And so... He will, you know, he'll look online, he'll get this, because you can find, believe it or not, Viking has everything online. You can find all kinds of schematics for these engines that were 30 years old. And, and he can get all that, and he can theorize, and he can understand, but he says to himself sometimes that he get do loops. I mean, he's, oh, let me look at this, and let me look at that. And he says, you know what? He says sometimes the only way to fix something is to get in there and start taking it apart. And... That is what Jesus is saying. Sometimes you want to think about everything too much. You've got to get with me, and we'll figure this out together. Together, we, can, we are way better than you and your brain without me. Okay? So, and that's really true. If you think about a lot of things in life, you just have to kind of just jump in. And then you're like, oh, that's why that... You know, that's why that is. And, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Okay, so the verse it says to be in Christ. That is Paul's um, number one description of the Christian. We talked about that if you were in Ephesians with me. But John uses the same word. To be in and abide in him is equivalent to the phrase to know him in verse 3 and 4 and to love him in verse 5. John Stott writes, being a Christian consists of, in essence, a personal relationship to God in Christ, knowing him, loving him, and living in him as a branch lives in the vine. This is his meaning of eternal life. John 17, 3 says, and this is Jesus' prayer, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Summarizes. John, 1 John 5.20, we'll get there in many weeks. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, 
in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So are we getting, uh, what I want you to understand here is about proximity. <laughs> and I said this before, there's a bumper sticker that we're rolling around, you know, if you think God is far from you, guess who moved? It would be us. <laughs> and we dealt with that last year. That, that is the problem of sin. But now we can live. How close does Jesus want to live to you? Closer than you can even imagine. Closer. He loves that fellowship. That's why we were created. So verse 6 says, By this we know we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. So let's talk about the word abide. Abide is the Greek word meno which is also translated remain, continue, dwell, tarry. We talked about it before. Um, uh, living communion is my favorite one. And a derivative of this is, we read this before, but I want you to hear it again in this context. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Again, we see this loving, obeying, understanding, all in one. That's what a Christian is. Uh, my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, that's mone, with him. That's a derivative of that same word, abiding, okay? Warren Wearsby defines it. It means to keep in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work through us to produce fruit. Uh, remember, man was created in the cool of, uh, was created to fellowship with God. And they would walk together in the cool of the day before sin separated them. This is what God's intention was for us to be with him. Um, and this is what we are, this is what will eventually happen when, you know, revelation comes forward. Okay, so Andrew Murray writes, uh, I don't know if this is in your notes. I think it is. The abiding in Christ is an intensely personal relationship. The losing ourselves in the fellowship of his infinite love, finding our life in the experience of being loved by him, being nowhere at home but in his love. So uh, let me tell you, gals, that is where we're going with this. I want us to have that more than we have right now. That's what I want for me and since I have to, we're all getting there together. Remember we said the fellowship was when we all get to the top of the mountain together? Um, that was the first lesson. Okay, John, okay, if you can, turn to John 15, because I'm going to read excerpts from that, because we really can't talk about abiding. Again, John wrote the gospel first, and so he is seeing when he's saying in this epistle, he's thinking that you know what he wrote before. Um, so what did he write about abiding? Well, this, is one of the, this was the last I am statement that John um, made of Jesus, or Jesus made. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Um, and that's a whole different lesson, <laughs> which I taught when we did the portrait of, of Christ, which was one of my favorite. That's really my all-time favorite lesson, because I'm still trying to figure it out, actually. My head's still do looping, okay? Um, John 15, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to read 9, 9 through 14. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now jump to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so has I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if I do what I, what I command you. Okay, so we are to be in him. And I want you to know that that means you're to be aware of that union that we share in Christ. Um, to be, this is kind of Martin Lloyd-Jones, because it's kind of a mystical union with the believer, with Christ. Um, it is what Paul describes being in Christ. Um, and Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the reference to the branch and the vine, it's a vital, organic relationship, not a mechanical attachment, a live one. It is the sharing of the life of the vine itself. And that is the relationships Christians have with their Lord. See, we're buried with him in death and we're raised to walk in newness of life. Where do we get that life from? Well, it would be from him. Because he says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. Right? Okay, so this is something that we are to be conscious of. John tells us we ought to know we are in him, in that relationship. We should know that we're part of Christ, that we're in him and that he's in us and we receive his life. Uh, yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives with me, in me, John, uh, Galatians 2.20. They are aware of another quality of life. They are aware of the life that the Son of God lives in us. They are in Christ and the life of Christ has come into them and is lived out through them weird but true um, so we get to number C in your outline so that's a challenge that's my challenge to you is to be more aware and don't think of sin as something like uh, you know like oh I want to go this way and maybe he's not looking maybe, he's, maybe the teacher's not looking right now so I can disobey the rule okay maybe I have to tell you when I was in fifth grade, the teacher moved me 23 times because there's 24 people in the class. They thought some, there was somebody that I wouldn't talk to, but they found out that was not true. So I totally know about trying to get around the rules. And as a Christian, we do. We try to get around those rules. But the rules are in place so that we can know him better and that we can be on that beautiful lighted path with the sun's shining and we can be safe in him and but it's like a noah like moment we can be safe in the ark but the ark is being tossed around but it doesn't matter we're safe because we are in his hand and nothing can snatch us out okay see walk just as he walked we will follow in his steps when god saved us he did not simply just 
take us to heaven. He saved us so that we might be conformed to his perfect image, that we would become like Jesus. He saved us that we might walk as he walked. John says we have both a statement to prove and a savior to imitate. And the word should conveys a moral obligation for our walk to match our talk. To truly abide in Christ means I will live, I will walk like him. This theme is not unique to 1 John. It's all over the New Testament. Verse 6 says, by this we know, that's my second, by this we know, that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now the Greek word walk is peripateo, and it really is talking about to order one's behavior, to conduct oneself. It's really talking about a manner of life, okay? If you ever watched Crocodile Dundee back in the day, remember in Australia they would do a walkabout, okay? And remember the little Sheila wanted to go, and he's like, yeah, right. <laughs> We're going to, but that's, it's, the, it's what, it's, it's being in that environment. It's, that's our manner. This is how we operate. And even though Crocodile Dundee left, and on one of the other shows, he went to New York, he really was still in Australia. I always remember my favorite, one of my favorite things is this is, some guy holds him up and he shows him a knife and he says, you think that's a knife? And he whips out his machete. <laughs> I was like, you can take the Aussie, the, you can take the Aussie out of Australia, but you can't take whatever that saying is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Help, work with me. Okay. So we are going to know him. We're going to walk the way he walked. First uh, Corinthians 11:1, 1, Paul says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." Ephesians 5:1, "Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children." First Peter 2:21, "For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you follow in His steps." And if you're on your outline. Like father, like son, like savior, like saint. Christ's life becomes my life, my example, my goal, my pattern. And we must note that it is abiding, that's the next one, abiding in him that enables me to, walk, to live like him. I don't do it in my own strength, I do it in his I don't have to be like him to be assured. I want to be like him, and I am assured. You see it? It's really about seeing him as the goal and the relationship that I get to have with him. And these commandments are only things that help me move me on my way. It's like if you've ever applied to college and you're like, there's a million forms to go fill out, you know, you're like, I don't care. Because I want to go there. So, and if you, know, if you ever went to college, you know it's just sort of a, it's about do loops. It's about filling blanks and lots. Is, there's a lot of things they ask you to do that don't make any sense at all, but you just do them because why? Because you want to get there. And that's what we should look at. These things, we should say, who cares what they are? I want to get there. I want to get to know Jesus. Okay, so... So now we're at 
the verses 7 through 11. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No worries. Okay, like father, like son, like savior, like saint. Christ's life becomes my example, my example, my example, my goal, and my pattern. And we must know that it is in, in abiding in him that enables me to live like him. I don't do it on my own strength. I do it in his. I don't have to be like him to be assured. I want to be like him, and I am assured. So now we're going to go to, let's all get to 1 John 2, 7 through 11, because I've got not much time. Behold, and this is the third. This will be the third point. Um, let me read it and then we'll go to the outline. But beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he has the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going, why? Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So point three in your outline, the third question is, do I love others? One of the marks of our assurance that we are in Christ and let me just tell you, it is as important as your right thinking and your right behavior. It's your right attitude. Do I love others? This is the ethical and social test. This has to do with my attitude, how I treat others. 1 John 2, 7 through 11, the absolute imperative of love. Imperative is a fancy word for command. John applies professing this third test. Um, it's not moral, it's social. He's about to write a brotherly love, and, it pro and, and it's kind of interesting because how does he start? He says in verse 7, beloved, beloved. He starts out with this because he's like, I'm with you, I love you. Don't worry about it. We're going to get in this together. He's calling him beloved. That's agape to. Okay, it's, um, it's part of the real word agape. Okay, so as he's about to write about brotherly love, he, um, he's urging them to, one love and, to love one another, and he assures them of his own love for them. Um, a is an old command with a new emphasis, 1 John 1, 7. And I'm getting this outline from, totally stole it from Warren Wiersbe. Verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Okay, so we have an old and a new kind of thing happening here. Okay, Leviticus 19.18 is the really, really old commandment that he's re referring to. And that says in the book of law, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Okay, that's the old, super duper old. 
Jesus talks about that when he says in Mark 12, 28 through 31, and he says, and one of the scribes came up to him, and they heard all this disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them, and he, he says, they asked him, what commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus said, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength and the second is this that you shall love your neighbor as yourself there's no other commandments greater than these so this is jesus's summary about this old and new but why is it new then we're going to get there john 13 34 i've read this before a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i've loved you so you are to love one another by this all people will know that you my disciples that you have love for one another. So Jesus is saying not the new part is we're not just to love our neighbors as ourselves, we're to love as Jesus loved. Wow. That's sort of up in the ante. Because I can love people. I could say, oh, how would I would feel if they did that? I can do that little social reciprocity. We call that now in school. We call Treating people the way you want to be treated, social reciprocity. Just to let you know. Um, but we can do that. But that's a whole different world than I am to love Denise the way Jesus loved me. That's sacrificially. I, that means I'm laying down my life for her. That's the kind of love we're talking here. Okay? So the beginning here is referring to the believer's conversion. Um, and Jesus displayed a kind of love that we've never seen before. But this is the love he's saying that we are to imitate. So if we're going to follow in his steps, this is kind of what he's talking about. And a lot of people, it's interesting because Piper makes a mention of this. He says, you know, he says, okay, let's follow all the commands. And then when you're a really nice Christian, when you're really super duper, you're really mature, then you do the love thing. And he said, no, 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 no. We do the love thing from the beginning. In the beginning of our conversion, the love thing is a requirement. It's not something we do like dessert, you know, after we've had our main meal. <laughs> we do it all the time. Um, so here is B, 1 John 2, 8. It is a new example. In Christ, the command to love one another is strengthened, write that down, deepened, expanded, and given a depth of meaning and understanding never seen before his coming in the incarnation. Now, that same kind of supernatural love is seen and experienced in those who love him and, and who abide in him. But there's, but, wait. There's more. <laughs> Perfect love is revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it has been dealt a death blow to darkness. Darkness is on the run and cannot outrun the light. In fact, the darkness is already departing, and the true light is already shining. The light of the world, Jesus said in John 8, 12, has come. The king of light and love is ready, reigning, and the fullness and the consummation of that reign is just around the corner. Anytime now. 
How we love one another gives evidence to all of this. Love is not new. It's as old as God, and it's rooted in the law, yet it is new in us in this conversion and new in its depth in Jesus Christ. It is new in experience, emphasis, expression, and endurance. It's as old as the sun and new as the dawn. And that is from Daniel Atkins, who is not dead. He's one of a, he's a good expositor. Okay, so the story, and you guys, in your, hopefully in your groups, and I'll get my group more. Um, there's the story of Jesus washing the feet. Remember? I want you to bring back to that. Before you get to the part where he's washing their feet, this is how he starts off that chapter. John writes in John 13:1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, listen to this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I'm just saying, this is the kind of love we're talking about. And if you, the group leaders, can hand out those verses, this is something for you. This is a copy of um, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 in the message, and I love reading these different versions, um, and there's a couple there you can kind of see, yeah. Um, I'll get you guys more, don't worry. I'm short of my group. If you have extra, pass them this way. Um, but this is the message for Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And this is, I'm giving this to you because you can memorize this, or you can put it on your mirror, or you can put it underneath your rear view mirror so that you can memorize this in traffic. Um, watch what he does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then Paul says, love like that. So that's your homework. There you got it. Okay, so and we're not going to have too much time to go and talk about some of these other verses, but let me just get to C. And C says, 1 John 2, 9 through 11, it is a new experience. Um, again, John is doing his famous contrasting. If you do this, this is what this good thing looks like. And if you don't do this, this is what the bad thing looks like. So, and again, do you see any gray here? I don't see any gray in John at all. Um, he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. Um, if you lose love, you lose everything, and there's nothing left. The three tests, this is on your notes, moral, doctrinal, and love, all stand together, together is what you want to write in, like the legs of a three-legged stool. We must do it all in love. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, I want you to write this down because I don't have time to read it to you. But 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, read it in the Passion Translation, just to wake you up a little bit. It's beautiful. The Passion, it's the Passion Translation. If you're on your phone, you can get it. TPT. Um, but, or just read it in any translation. It's all good. You know, this is the love chapter. If I speak with the, the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I have nothing. 
I'm a clanging cymbal, okay? That, that's what I want you to read because that's what the love he's talking about. Uh, verse 11, let me close it up pretty quickly. He whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, let me just say the darkness does blind. And um, John three nineteen through 20 says, This is the judgment. The light has come into this world and the people love darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Not by yourself. Um, so I'm going to close with this uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. Because it talks, this is Paul talking about lightness and darkness and being blinded. Um, Listen carefully, because this is something amazing. Because it ties all of what we just said together. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So whoever loves his brother abides in this light. And that light is a light because he, he, afterwards I told my group, I said, he was the light of this world. And then as he's leaving, he says, by the way, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And you, we, that we should do our good things, these, this behavior, we should do this in a way that gives glory to him. That's Matthew 5. You'll have to find it. But anyway, that's the end. So whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and I want you to love like that. Amen?